Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Jen Newman, the host of Creating Your Own Path, and each week I share conversations with those working in various creative industries. We cover a lot of ground on this show, but the ultimate goal is to unearth the stories of others so that we can uncover and better understand our own. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. You can also catch a new episode each week during the regular season at creatingyourownpath.com. Friends, I feel like this episode has been a long time coming. I can't remember when I first discovered the work of Danny Ives, who is a fiber artist, but I remember looking at her work and thinking, wait, that's wool? Because Danny's pet portraits and depictions of nature look like paintings, but they are so detailed. But it is, in fact, wool. It's fiber art. And if you're not familiar with her work, don't worry. I'm going to give you all the links to check out in the show notes. But what I love most about Danny is her background. She is a self-taught artist whose education and professional experience is pretty far removed from art, but she's really brought all of it together in a really fun and beautiful way. And she makes a living at it. I'm going to let Danny tell you the rest. So let's get to it. Danny, I have been following your work for what feels like forever, even though it, I say like in internet years, it's forever, but it's not been forever. It's, it's only probably been a handful of years. But for those who might not be familiar with your work, will you tell us a little bit about it, kind of what you do for a living and how you got to where you are today? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm a fiber artist. And what I tell people who've never considered, you know, a fiber artist or people who make things that aren't paintings is that I create pieces out of wool that actually look like paintings. It all kind of started really haphazardly, uh, probably, well, it was back in 2011 when I just, I heard about Etsy. I decided to open up a shop because it sounded like fun. And I was creating things like jewelry and, you know, just, I mean, there was no plan there. It was just, I want to order some things to make for myself and then I'll sell them too. But when I heard about Etsy and when all of this got started, I was actually not in the art world, not in the craft world at all. I was working as an educator at a zoo because when I was growing up, I wanted to work with animals. That was my whole plan. I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And, and I took all of those classes like in high school to prepare for that, all the AP classes because I'm a super nerd. And, <laughs> Which I like. I appreciate that about you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm totally still a nerd, but, you know, that's beside the point. So I went into college and decided maybe a couple years in that I don't think I really wanted to go to school much longer <laughs> after getting my bachelor's degree. It just veterinary school just didn't sound fun anymore. So yeah, I started volunteering. Um, and one of the places I started volunteering was at our local zoo. And this is um, in Springfield, Missouri. And at the zoo, I got to be a docent, which was basically a volunteer teacher. So I got to work with small animals like chinchillas and hedgehogs and little owls, and I handled them. I learned about them, and I got to introduce new visitors to them and teach them, and that was really cool. So fast forward two years later, I graduate, and I basically get I get that same job at the zoo, but you know with a lot more responsibility, of course. And I teach camps and things like that for kids at the zoo. And I take animals to school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I got to have the really fun job where I get to go to schools and, 
and get the kids really excited <laughs> and then leave <laughs> and yeah, let right. the teachers deal with all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Coming down off that high from, exactly. from having animals visit. Yeah. So part of my job at the zoo was to also, like I said, run these camps. In the camps, we would create these crafts with the um, with the kids that were, you know, kind of like conservation related or animal related just to help them uh, learn a little bit more about the animals or the habitat. And my coworker at the zoo, I I feel like she was the queen of all crafts. Like if you had a question or needed an idea or inspiration, you would go to her and she would come up with something amazing for you. And one day out of the blue, I don't even, we were both sitting at our desk and she mentioned um, needle felting to me and I had never heard of it. Right. She explained that you could create these little figurines, little cute animals out of wool. And I was intrigued. So I looked it up and lo and behold on Etsy, I found like a supply kit, um, just a bunch of wool and needles and this foam pad and some other weird things. So <laughs> I ordered it, of course, and I just started making and I haven't stopped making since. So that was way back in 2011. And my style has since grown to something completely different, really, because I started with kind of cute, cartoony animal figurines and and morphed into other things like potted plants, pin cushions, things that still felt really kind of crafty to me. Mm-hmm. But a couple years in, I decided to try something flat because I, I saw something similar, I think on Pinterest um, and just hadn't considered making like a picture version with this medium and and with, you know, the needle felting style. I tried it and I loved it. Um, and then just kind of honed in on that. So that's what I do now. And I try to create super realistic pieces. And they're all still kind of a an homage, I guess, to my animal background, because I love creating animal portraits. Um, and just kind of bringing that world into this kind of fiber art world and, and mixing the two. Yeah. You talked a lot about kind of how you transitioned from, you know, the zoo and all of these other things in your in your educational background, which I think is just so interesting that you ended up doing what you're doing. But can you talk about the transition just a little bit, not from like the technical side, because I think you covered that already, but like from the maybe emotional, psychological side, what was that transition like for you? You know, you're going to school for one thing, thinking you're going to go down this path and something else comes along. Like, how did you handle that transition? Yeah. So I worked at the zoo for almost 10 years and it was a really fun job. I really, really loved it. But where I was in the zoo, I I was kind of ready to move upward and there really was nowhere for me to go, you know, within this particular organization. So I was either going to have to um, either take this a little more seriously and move to somewhere where I could have a little bit more of a career growth, or I was going to have to move into my art full time. And for me, where I was, this was about 2015 when I made this, this transition from zoo job to art career, I I was actually feeling really motivated. Um, and really fulfilled by having this new like art in my life and it was it was just really lighting me up so it made sense for me to go from animals to art 
Um, and on top of that, my husband was also ready for a change um, within his job. Uh, he had been there for 10 years um, and we were looking to maybe even just move towns. Um, so that's, oh, okay. that's what we did. Um, we we kind of had a, an exit plan <laughs> and decided on, you know, a roundabout date, basically like a month of the year <laughs> that we would make all of this happen. And we both quit our jobs and we put our house up for sale and we moved um, back to our hometown in Arkansas just for like a simple transition period. We lived with his parents, not like with them, but on their property, they had, um, they had a barn that had like a, oh, what's it called? Like a horse master's quarters. It was basically like converted oh, sure. horse stock. Oh my gosh horse stalls um, into like yeah. a little apartment. So it was like 500 square feet. Actually, I think it was less than that. I think it was 500 square feet with the front porch. <laughs> it was tiny. Um, and so we lived there yeah, for a tiny. year. <laughs> yeah. We ha- it was us and two big dogs and a cat. So that was interesting. <laughs> so quitting our jobs and, and just leaving town, it was like, it was like a fresh start. So it felt really good. And at this point, um, I had, I had done the work and I had done the research to turn my art into something that was actually sustainable. Um, and that could actually provide a living for both of us because at the time when he quit his job, well, he had another job lined up in the town where we moved to and he stayed there for a little while, but he was super bored. So it was, you know, we just, we had very few living expenses at the time since we were living on his parents' property. And it was a good chance for him to just quit and like work on hobbies for a little while before we moved again. So um, it was nice to be able to kind of provide that for us with my art. Yeah. And that must've felt really good actually to sort of, you know, be the breadwinner and be able to do that with creative work. Yeah, um, it does. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, we, we hear so often about the, you know, there's that um, starving artist sort of paradigm, and it gets pretty tired, you know. Yeah, I artists mean, should get paid, so <laughs> they should get paid, and like, there's no point in being a starving artist. I mean, there are ways you can make money. You don't have to be picky about it, you know. <laughs> For sure, absolutely. So, well, it sounds like it was a really interesting time in your life, and so, kind of moving forward, you talked about how you you really did marry those two loves of like animals and biology with your artwork. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you tried some other things with fiber arts. Um, but did you actually try other types of art when you first got started or was this it? Well, um, I, we were taking, so I say we, my husband and I were both taking like a ceramics class um, at the art museum. Mm-hmm. He really liked ceramics in high school and, and he had a pottery wheel and all of that. And he was really good at it. Me, not so much. I just liked, you know, hand building, again, animal type things. Of course. Um, I'm sensing a theme. I know, right? It's everywhere. So, I mean, we were just dabbling in that. It was just like a, you know, every Thursday night for 10 weeks, you know, we would we would do that a few times a year. And other than that, though, I was just kind of dabbling in other things. I do not feel well-trained in anything um, because I, I had zero art classes, you know, in college. I did take, you know, we had one art class in high school that you could take. Um, and I took those. I was actually president of my high school art club 
And I tend to forget about that. But, you know, I mean, again, super nerd, overachiever. It's okay. No, I love it. (laughs) But yeah, it's, uh, oh my gosh, where were we going with this? (laughs) Oh, kind of other things that you did. So um, if you tried other things, when you were like starting out your business, did you try any other types of art? Yeah, great question. Okay. Like thinking like you wanted to maybe do that professionally. Yeah, no, um, I I just would, you know, get out. I had a, a few paint supplies and I would just paint on a canvas, you know, with like zero plans and just trying to play around with paint and color thinking I was trying to improve. But I mean, there was no, I don't know, there was no aim for that really. So it was just more of a needle felting for me and this, this type of fiber art, it's really addictive. And I think you'll kind of hear that a lot from other people who um, try it out. It's just, it's one of those things where you can just kind of keep working on the same piece for a really long time until you get it right, because it's super forgiving. So anytime, you know, you mess up or you need to make a change, it's easy to do um, as opposed to like painting, you know, you can, you can take off a piece of wool, but you can't necessarily take off a paint stroke. Yeah. A layer of paint. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really forgiving and it's really fun. And, um, it was, it was hard to put down and obviously I never did. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, it it seems to be working out really well. So, um, we're all, you know, those of us who know your work are really happy you're still doing it. So (laughs) thanks. It's so um, endearing and char- like the work is, I feel like it's charming. You know what yeah. I mean? I want to like hang out with the art because it's just like, oh, that's so sweet and it's so nice and it's it's fun to look at and, and kind of seeing the intricacies that, you, I mean, you really are painting with wool. <laughs> that's a thing. And so it's so cool to see it. So, and I'm interested about your subject matter because mm-hmm. obvious, I mean, I'm seeing, like I said, I'm seeing a theme. I'm seeing the progression from... Yeah. Your love of animals and all of those things. But you specifically state that you will not do human portraits mm-hmm. on your website. Why? I I actually, that might be um, in need of a change soon. Oh. So here's the thing. <laughs> Breaking because, news, people. <laughs> I know, right? Because I, I, I'm comfortable working on animal art pieces. Like I'm, I'm comfortable doing animal portraits. They're a little more forgiving, right, than like mm-hmm. a human face. But I did do my first human face last year. It was it was my own. It was a self portrait, and let me tell you, that was I don't I think that might have been a mistake because <laughs> doing your own doing a self portrait as like your first human uh, subject like that was just it was torture. But I got through it, and I'm pretty happy with the result. Um, and I would love to explore doing some more human portraits, but I'm not ready to take on commissions per se. It just needs for me, this needs to be more of like a more organic movement into like, maybe I'll do, you know, justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg or, you know, some, some more like well-known people, but who people who don't care (laughs) about what, what their portraits look like (laughs) that I make of them. (laughs) Sure. Or have made their, uh, you know, had their portraits made in so many different ways, so yeah, many different times. That, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I mean, the animals don't care what they look like, right? So right. It's, it's safe. <laughs> totally. And I get that. I was just curious because it was, it was so specific yeah, on your I website. <laughs> um, but, but I, I also kind of liked it because you know what you do well, you've, you know, you're sticking with yeah. your strengths and all of that stuff, but it is cool to hear that you're sort of branching out. And and I would imagine that doing a self-portrait would be 
incredibly difficult. We're our own worst critics. We, right. A half of us, probably more than half of us don't always look like, enjoy what we look like in pictures. Sure. So um, to actually sit there with your face yep. and having like, I mean, you're sitting there looking at yourself and creating it from nothing. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I would imagine that would be pretty difficult. And so I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because you were, um, like you mentioned, you're self-taught and now you're also an educator who, I mean, you've run workshops all over the world yeah. and you've also written a book, which I believe I, I sort of dropped the title, but um, you can you can talk about your book here in a minute. But it's kind of a how-to book. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's pretty forgiving and and you're you're essentially educating people. So when did you decide that, I guess, the next step for you in your career would be to share your knowledge with others? Yeah. Um, when I was selling those figurines and pincushions and things like that, I was doing them. I was doing that on Etsy, but I was also attending a lot of craft shows. And at the craft shows, I people would ask, you know, how do you make this? How do you do this? So I learned very quickly to have some in progress pieces to be working on at the time so I could show them and and so that they could try it too. And kind of within that market, I realized that there was a lot of interest in people learning how to do what I do. And because I was an educator at the zoo, you know, for almost 10 years, it was a natural transition for me to just turn this new knowledge um, and skill that I have also into a way, you know, into workshops and classes and and I have e-courses as well. So it was a constant ask, you know, how do you make this? How how can I do this too? And so I started partnering up with um, local shops who had some spaces or who maybe already offered workshops, um, you know, in different mediums and had them host a few. Um, and then once I had, you know, two or three under my belt and I felt comfortable with being able to transfer these skills to other people and and how to explain and all of that, then I um, started traveling a little bit more uh, regionally. And then um, now I travel all across the U.S. and have also been invited to a few other countries as well. And it's really exciting. And it, it's also really fun to see the interest in fiber arts all around the world. Um, it's been a really, I think, important part of my growth. And um, it's been really fun to share with everybody. Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, I, you know, I when I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur mm-hmm. at heart, I think, and I'm always interested in why people go that direction from like a financial standpoint too. You talked about how there's no reason to be a starving artist. Yeah. And I think that that's part of it is if you have these marketable skills, I guess, or skills that you can turn into some sort of curriculum or content. And if enough people want it or need it, like, why wouldn't you go that way? You know, Um, unless you just really hate educating, you know, which is (laughs) true true for some people. That's just not their, uh, I joke that it's like, that's not your spiritual gifting (laughs) or whatever, you know, like I'm pretty, I'm pretty um, adamant about what mine are. So, you know, was it a financial decision for you at all? I mean, or was it just people are asking, I have the knowledge, let's put the two together and make something. Um, both. So, I mean, okay. it sounded it sounded fun to be able to teach other people how to do it. But I mean, definitely teaching workshops is a, a really great way for me to make money. It's I haven't sat down to actually shame on me for not knowing the you know actual percentage. But if I had to guess, 
Um, I would say that uh, teaching at least in-person workshops probably accounts for about a third of my income. And then on top of that, I have the e-courses, you know, which are also a really great way to boost um, my finances as well. So being able to travel and teach and, and reach those people who can actually come to a workshop is great. But having that online income uh, for people who can't come to one of my workshops um, mm-hmm. was also a really, it was a really great opportunity to kind of tap into that market because a lot of people, when I started my style of needle felting there, I mean, there weren't a lot of people doing it. Right. Um, so I kind of, you know, I got in right at the perfect timing to be like, you know, to, to be able to teach people how to do it and, and to be like one of the first instructors to show people how to do this style. So it was really great timing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, we have to kind of throw that out there that timing is, they say it's everything and it's true. <laughs> I think that it's a really important thing to call out as well. Yeah, I agree. So what have been, you know, we've talked about a lot of the like the good things that have happened. And, you know, sometimes we don't talk about maybe some of the challenges that have come up because turning something like this into a full-time career there's probably some, been some, you know, speed bumps and starts sure. and stops and all of those things. So what have been some of the challenges involved in turning fiber art into a full-time career and how have you navigated those challenges? Hmm. Well, um, I think the one thing that sticks out the most for me, because I'm working for myself now and, I'm, you know, this is my own business, I... <laughs> don't get much of a break like ever. <laughs> mm, um, yeah. you know, I, I'm not working nine to five anymore. It's, it's, you know, I wake up and I go to sleep and pretty much all of that in between is, you know, either I'm thinking about something new, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about a project, I'm working on a piece, I'm corresponding, you know, over the internet, <laughs> I'm answering those emails. It's kind of all, my whole day is kind of filled and revolves around art, but also business. So it's just, it's definitely super time consuming. Um, but because I am my own boss, you know, I can, I can be a little bit more lenient about things. You know, I don't, I don't have to sit at my desk all day. Um, you know, if I feel like I need a nature break, I can go for a walk. I can, you know, take my dog down the street. We can go search for mushrooms in my backyard and, so it's, I think time management and, and just knowing that working for yourself is so much harder <laughs> It really, it, yeah, than it working for somebody else. Like it's just, yeah, that's, that's the one thing that sticks out most to me. And plus I'm just, I'm just not good at time management. Um, mm. I don't know that I ever will be, but you know what? I've, I've survived so far, so I'm just going right. to go with it. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and I think that's a challenge that a lot of us probably have faced. I mean, like I said, I've, I've worked for myself for seven years. And so, yeah, it was a constant grind, if you will. Yeah. I, I don't usually like using that word, but, you know, it's like you wake up, you, you're, I'm, I was promoting a podcast episode or I was, you know what I mean? Right. This constant need to be in all the places, doing all the things and you're not creating, you're marketing your creations. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's always yeah. on your mind because your business relies on you. I mm-hmm. mean, like you're in, you're in charge of everything and you're responsible for everything. And if you don't do something, you know, I mean, th- that just falls back on you. It's your own fault. So it's just kind of like, 
you're relying on yourself and you're counting on like, you have to do the work, you know, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So it's just, it's hard. It's hard to know that, but that's also kind of the beautiful part of it as well. Do you have any plans to outsource anything? No, um, (laughs) not really. That's a fair answer. Yeah. I mean, I outsource things to my husband. Um, (laughs) he, uh, he offers to help as much as he can, but you know, there's, I'm also kind of a control freak and, you know, even packaging up the kits that I sell have to be done like a specific way. Um, but he's super helpful wherever he can be. Um, and he always, when he can, um, he comes to my workshops and, uh, helps me set up. He's got the setup and tear down of my workshops down to a T. So it's, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. So at least um, I can like chat with people and everything as we're setting, setting up and closing down and he takes care of everything. Oh, that's so handy to have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I would imagine because especially if you're doing workshops or say you're at like um, a fair or, mm-hmm. you know, like a, mar- a maker's mart or something like that, you're probably exhausted by the end of the day too. Yeah, definitely. Chatting with everybody. So mm-hmm. it's nice to have somebody handling the physical labor if you can, if you can make it work. Um, so in the kind of the same vein, but you know. I'm always curious to hear if you have any advice for listeners. Maybe they're just starting out in a creative field or they're like in the middle of it and things are really hard or things are really great, you know? Um, yeah. Do you have any any things that maybe you wish you would have known before you started um, or anything like that that you can share with us? I think one of the things that has been most useful and helpful for me is kind of reaching out to people and and becoming part of a community, whether it's an actual, you know, in-person community uh, where you live, or if it's online, I I think making friends is super important. And when you need help, you should ask for it. Um, Because I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody can just say, you know, like, no, I'm not going to help you with that. Then you move on. Right. But if they, if they say yes, and they can help you, um, then that, might make all the difference for you. So I think what I've learned and because I'm, I'm kind of new, um, to where I currently live, um, I'm, I'm seeing the benefit and the value of reaching out to, um, my, you know, my local community and trying to be involved in the arts community and other groups. It's starting to, to feel really valuable and, and whether or not it is, you know, business-wise, like it doesn't really matter at this point, just kind of being a person in the world (laughs) feels good, you know? Um, and especially like if you're an online entrepreneur, you can feel really isolated, um, and, and sometimes just be really alone. Um, and it's okay to be like that if you want to, but definitely, um, I think reaching out and making those friendships is super important and never be afraid to ask for help. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And it's so hard for so many of us who, um, I mean, you described yourself as a bit of a control freak and I would, I would claim that as well. (laughs) So, um, it can be really hard for us, but that's really, really good advice. And I love what you're saying about kind of, um, the local community. I think that in the world we live today where it feels like everything is online and it's all Instagram all the time, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. meeting with people in person and going to art shows or going to if you have a creative mornings or some, some sort right. of like creative meetup 
it's super important, even for if you're an introvert or even if you, you know, you love working alone or any of that stuff, every once in a while connecting that way. I mean, it's worth its weight in gold. I think it, yeah, I think it is. Last night I was perusing Instagram. I, I clicked on a few hashtags of, of local people. I discovered that there was a group or like a club called like Arkansas Ladies Drink Beer. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I think that might be a fun group then. to join. <laughs> yeah, we had a few like show beer. up and drink beer. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. Even just silly things, you know, things that feel silly. It, it could just feel really, you know, worthwhile sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah. And it doesn't have to be related to your work. That's another good point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So we're just kind of wrapping things up. So I want to make sure that people can find you. So where's the best place online to find you and your work and all of the things that you're doing? Yeah. Um, so my website um, is where I try to link everything together. Um, it's dannyives.com. It's where you'll find um, information about my book, my e-courses, my upcoming workshops and, and that schedule. I hang out a lot on Instagram. I'm at be good natured over there. And that's where I share um, a lot about like my current work and what I'm, what I'm working on, you know, during the day. And those are probably the best places to find me and to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to have everybody just discover your work if they haven't already. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This has been so great. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people in this community are familiar with Danny's work, and I'm curious if anyone has taken one of her courses. If you have, or you've read her book, or anything like that, come join the conversation over on Instagram. You can find all things CYOP at Creating Your Own Path. As usual, I've got everything we mentioned in today's show linked up in the show notes over at CreatingYourOwnPath.com. CYOP's technical production is managed by Ray Ortega. If you need help with audio or video production, please be sure to give him a shout. He is at Podcast Helper on Instagram and Twitter. And remember, the best way to support podcasters, to be quite honest, is by subscribing, rating the show, and leaving a review. You can also always share episodes with the real people in your life who might need to hear these stories. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week.